Hello and welcome to The Intersection. I'm Mark Riley. Thanks for being with us. In this episode, Trump, Trump, and more Trump. The fallout from the raid at Mar-a-Lago isn't over yet. The domestic terrorist that tried to storm an FBI office in Cincinnati was a big contributor to Trump's Truth Social website. One former cop in Louisville is about to plead guilty to falsifying the warrant that led to the murder of Breonna Taylor. Arctic warming is happening faster than predicted, which means the planet could be in a world of hurt sooner than we think. And the Inflation Reduction Act caps a pretty good week for Joe Biden. So the first item on the agenda is Donald Trump. And I should say right off the top that this story will be changing. I can say, I think that it will be changing. It might change, it might not, but my guess is it will change by the time you hear this because developments seem to be crazy ongoing. And to think I believed I might not have to mention this grifter's name again. Alas, I was wrong. My only issue is just where to start. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know FBI agents raided Mar-a-Lago, his hangout in Florida, this past week. At first, it wasn't quite clear why. Now, we know. They were looking for classified documents Trump may have taken with him as he left the White House. The story has since mushroomed and morphed several times over. What did the FBI seize? According to the New York Times, this, and I'm quoting them. In total, agents collected four sets of top secret documents, three sets of secret documents, and three sets of confidential documents. Also taken by the FBI were files pertaining to the pardon of Roger J. Stone Jr., a longtime associate of Mr. Trump, and material about French President Emmanuel Macron, along with more than a dozen boxes labeled only by number, end quote. That is quite a haul. The right-wing ecosystem, including Trump, went ballistic. The judge who issued the warrants was a left-wing Antifa-loving radical, according to these right-wing gas bags. The trouble with that argument? He, in fact, is a Trump appointee who has been a contributing guest on Newsmax, a Trump-friendly news service, a dozen times. Then the Washington Post runs an article that says agents were looking for nuclear documents and other materials. That, in theory, upped the ante quite a bit. But wait, there's more. At the end of last week, the warrant was in fact revealed. After a lot of back and forth, including Trump saying that he had no problem with revealing it without revealing it himself. Turns out it's part of an investigation into whether Trump violated the Espionage Act. That's right, the Espionage Act. The one they tried to hang on Julian Assange. Now, I may have no truck with the Espionage Act, but to think that a former president is even suspected of violating it is in itself a monumental situation in our history, not just in Trump's history, not just in the summer of 2022, in American history. Of course, we don't know yet whether the raid produced any illegal acts. Trump has argued that any classified documents at Mar-a-Lago had been declassified by, guess who? Donald Trump. All this has prompted the former guy's right-wing amen corner 
to channel their inner AOC and call for defunding the FBI. Not defending, defunding the FBI. Think about that for a minute. Let that sink in. The same people who were condemning black folks for going out in the street and protesting police misconduct and police brutality and talking about defunding the police, which I always thought was a bad idea and terrible optics, now these same people, including of all people, Marjorie Taylor Greene, talking about defunding the FBI. Politics does indeed make strange bedfellows. So let's see what we have here. The FBI conducted a raid at Donald Trump's home in Florida, looking for, among other things, classified documents that he should not have taken. The raid, by the way, took place after a couple of months negotiating with his team of lawyers and not receiving all they'd asked for. In fact, the New York Times article says Trump's lawyers asserted all documents marked classified had been returned. Apparently not. My wife, the executive producer of this podcast, asked a trenchant question when news of the raid dropped. Where was Melania, she said. Indeed, so deep is the paranoia in Trump world that published reports are claiming Donald Trump is even ready to believe that his own wife and maybe his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, tipped off the FBI. If these published reports are to be believed, Trump thinks he's been wiretapped by Joe Biden and there have been calls within his inner circle to do phone checks on his staff. Sad fact is, we may never know who threw this guy under a bus. We will know the truth, however, about how casually he took the security apparatus of the country he ran for four years. Some of his allies have tried just about everything to absolve him, including spreading the lie that Barack Obama took 30 million documents with him when he left office in 2017. The National Archives was quick, and I mean quick, to debunk that one. The fact is, Trump's people are flailing. The toadies who once wanted to lock Hillary Clinton up over her use of email servers now are trying to explain their way out of how Donald Trump took classified documents out of the White House to Florida with him. My guess is Hillary Clinton's having more than a few laughs over all of this. But here's the final irony. Even if Donald Trump were to be indicted, tried, and convicted of multiple felonies before 2024, he could still run for president again. Nothing precludes even convicts for running for the highest office in the land. We haven't even delved deep down the Trump rabbit hole to talk about people threatening civil war and advocating the assassination of federal law enforcement personnel. This would tend to signify that one. The feds may have found one or more violations of law by the former guy, and if published reports are to be believed, Trump's circle of sycophants are starting to get a little nervous. After all, one of his lawyers signed a statement saying that those classified documents had been returned. Keep in mind that no matter what they tell you, this stuff is serious. Before we leave Trump, we must talk about one of his acolytes, one Ricky W. Schiffer of Columbus, Ohio. This is the guy 
who tried to storm the FBI field office in Cincinnati in full body armor by using a nail gun to break the glass at the entrance. Obviously, not the brightest bulb in the marquee. Schiffer was shot and killed by state police after a chase and a standoff. Turns out he was a regular poster on Trump's Truth Social website. He actually threatened to kill law enforcement in one post. Which brings up a question. What responsibility do the purveyors of disinformation and violence have when one of their number acts like Ricky Schiffer did? Legally, perhaps none. People that project this usually hide behind the First Amendment as their first line of defense. After all, just ask Alex Jones. So we should end this by saying that the raid on Donald Trump's home has exposed yet again the deep fissures in the American political psyche. These are chasms that will not heal unless or until people stop blindly following one alleged messianic figure they believe will lead them to the promised land and realize they've actually been conned. Up next, the wall of silence around the killing of Breonna Taylor in Louisville has cracked. We'll tell you about it in a minute. This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. What's happening in your world? Is there an issue you'd like me to talk about? Hit me up with a comment on Facebook. Welcome back to The Intersection. The search for justice in the police killing of Breonna Taylor has been a long and torturous one. You may remember she was killed in March 2020 by Louisville police. One of four ex-cops charged by the feds in connection with her death now says she intends to plead guilty to charges against her. Ex-cop Kelly Goodlett will admit she falsified a search warrant and filed a false report to cover it up. She faces a maximum sentence of five years and a $250,000 fine. A couple of things to remember here. The only cop who faced state charges in Breonna Taylor's death was acquitted, and those charges were of wanton endangerment. Federal charges had been brought against Goodlett and three other ex-cops. The other three are facing civil rights violation charges that could see them wind up in prison for life. Brianna Taylor's murder created a storm of outrage across the country, much in the manner of George Floyd. For a time, it focused the attention of America on racism in policing. Subsequent events have tended to blur the attention that issue ended up getting. Certainly in the wake of the 2020 election, Trump's denialism, and the January 6th insurrection. And yet, Breonna Taylor's death still resonates in the minds of activists and black communities nationwide. It exposed police misconduct in Louisville on a grand scale. Charges against them have included sexual misconduct, stealing money, including stealing money from the raid at Breonna Taylor's home. All in all, a tawdry record of misconduct. Now you wanna talk about defunding something, think about that for a minute. Add to that the cops involved in killing her escaped homicide charges, and you have plenty of reasons 
for black folks to get angry. Let's hope that anger can be marshaled into continued close scrutiny of the trial of the cops who still stand charged. And now another piece of bad news regarding climate change. Again, uh, I know a lot of young people don't know this term, but I'm beginning to sound and I'm beginning to feel like I sound like a broken record here. Researchers in Finland have found that the area around the Arctic Circle is heating up much faster than previously thought. Some areas are heating up four to seven times faster than the global average. Let that sink in for a minute. We've been talking about the perils of climate change for a while now. This summer's weather with heat waves and floods buffeting large swaths of the country should drive that point home. As mentioned in previous episodes, the challenge is in convincing the public that global warming is something that needs our immediate attention. This is where the value of climate activists come in. Some are willing to commit acts of civil disobedience and incur the wrath of the public to get their point across. Heat waves draw some attention, and so does flooding. Inconveniencing people makes activists out to be the bad guys, which they're prepared to be to get their point across. That I admire. I may be inconvenienced, but to me it's worth it to force the powers that be to take serious, serious action. And see, even this report, which talks about the Arctic Circle, people, the people who don't live in the Arctic Circle, what am I supposed to be nervous about if the Arctic Circle is starting to warm up? It has a ripple effect all over the globe. It is not just about the Arctic Circle or Greenland or Iceland or any of the northern countries that are closest to the Arctic Circle. This can have an impact all the way down to the equator. Now, I have to say this, even though there has been some climate change action in the U.S. Right now, what we have is a mountain of lip service and vilifying of those with the guts to take action. Keep in mind, an earlier study came to a similar conclusion as this latest one. The larger issue is this. We cannot continue to burn fossil fuels and spew greenhouse gases into the air as we have. The evidence is in our daily lives. Even if we don't listen to scientists, we better pay attention to the evidence that we are seeing every day. I don't want to sound all doom and gloom, especially about both climate change and the economy. When we come back, some good news on both. Did Joe Biden have a long-awaited good week? This is The Intersection. You're at The Intersection with Mark Riley. It's what summer listening is all about. It wasn't the worst of times for President Joe Biden. Inflation, which has plagued him just about from his early days in office, has moderated just a bit. In June, inflation climbed to 9.1%. Last month, it dropped to 85 
Prices for airfares, fuels, and used cars declined, while rent and food costs kept going up. At the same time, unemployment dipped to 3.5%, well below that which indicates full employment. And now it looks like the president will get a trifecta. The House last week passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which means by the time you hear this, it will have become law. The act includes a big chunk of money to fight climate change. And again, I was just talking about climate change and about how people aren't paying attention. Well, at least the government in this instance is in fact paying attention. It's not a cure-all, but $370 billion is a lot of money and it will help. Also in the bill is help with drug costs for seniors and saving about 13 million people from insurance costs that were due early next year. Republicans, as you might expect, were united in their opposition, just as they were when the bill was in the Senate. There are those who will say it's not good enough, especially in fighting climate change. They may be right. Yet, there's an old adage that I believe applies here. Do not let the perfect become the enemy of the good. Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley, and music is by Tevin Thomas. Until next time, please be well.